0: Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what, no matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. welcome back to no matter what y'all today i am over the moon to have one of my besties ellen On the show today. Ellen has so many things to talk about. We will unpack as she tells her story. But Ellen is the director of pastoral counseling at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. You may have heard of Redeemer. There's a guy that is kind of known named Tim Keller who works out there. (laughs) Um, But that is where Ellen currently works. She has two masters. She has a master's in youth and family ministry, and she also has a marriage and family therapy license from Treveca. And Ellen has been a dear friend of mine gosh for how long now Ellen Oh, over 10 years yeah 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 yeah. over 10 years and so it's crazy and I feel like we have gotten to walk through so much life together over I mean 20s and 30s are there's a lot of change that happens Mm -hmm. in those decades and so we have Mm -hmm. been together through a lot of that yeah okay Ellen I want you to tell everyone listening how our friendship began
1: Well, this is one of my very favorite questions to talk about. So I was working on staff in youth ministry at Fellowship Bible Church in Nashville, where your dad was one of the teaching pastors. And I had met your mom and your dad a few times, just kind of in passing. I think at this point, I had been on staff for about a year. And one Sunday after the service, your mom comes up to me, who I adore, and said, Ellen, my daughter is moving to Nashville. And I think you guys would be great friends, fast friends. And me in my like pride and selfishness <laughs> and I mean just really arrogant. I don't know what it was, but I just was kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm sure we will. Like very skeptical. I <laughs> that's guess not happening. When you're kind of <laughs> that's not happening. When when you're on staff at a church, you know, you're kind of a bit like visible and so people I don't know. I guess I just thought she I don't know why. I just didn't think we would. And then <laughs> as god would have it in his lovely and wonderful way you are one of my dearest and closest friends in life and so i just um it's a great way and a funny funny story yeah
0: you are not the only friend that i feel like i really had to earn my uh place in your life i don't know why coming in to nashville as an adult with a a preacher daddy it disadvantaged me a lot, which is so funny, but I mean, not, not truly disadvantaged me, but in the yeah. eyes of some people, there were, there were a handful of my very best friends today that were like, uh, yeah, Michael Easley's daughter. I ain't going to be friends with that girl. Yeah. And, and they're people who <laughs> loved Michael Easley. So I don't yes, know what the, I don't know what the disparity well, was, but it. it's all right. I won in the end of it. the that's day, right?
1: Actually, you know, I won. Okay. Let's be <laughs> honest. I got you as a friend and that's what
0: matters. <laughs> well, it feels very mutual. Okay. So as you know, this whole show is about how to be who God designed us to be in seasons that are difficult. That's the no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't define the season that we're going to talk about for you as like a true hardship, but it was a season of discontentment, I would say, and I'll let you use your own words and talk about it. But yeah, I think first where I want you to start is give folks just a picture of career-wise for you after graduating college, kind of jobs that you had and where you walk through, and then bring us up to speed to about the year 2013, and that's where we'll really dive in.
1: So I went to my undergrad down in Mississippi at Mississippi College, go uh, (laughs) Choctaw, where I got my undergrad in history, but in the summers in college, I was uh, working at a summer camp called Kanakuk, uh, which is located in Missouri, and it was kind of a Christian sports camp And so became a counselor in the summer there and just really fell in love with ministry, with volunteering with Young Life. So ministry was something that was really kind of exploring and trying out and felt significant calling and also my own giftings were a really great fit there. So four summers of being a summer camp counselor, they hired me as a full-time women's director for one of the camps. So from Mississippi, I moved to Missouri and kind of just dove into full-time ministry there at Kanakuk and so was there for about seven years so part of my role was we had a program for kids that attended camp that ran throughout the year so I I was kind of in charge of that similar to like a young life type of model but then in the summer was overseeing our staff and our camp and so it was literally I lived in a teepee with no air conditioning and no coffee I really don't know how I made it through seven years yeah 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 But just, you know, loved it. It was a great opportunity, grew a lot, but kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I cannot live in a teepee for the rest of my life. (laughs) I need to kind of think what And wait, time out.
0: Why no coffee?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, Because it was a Christian sports camp, coffee is thought of as a diuretic. And so they just kind of said no coffee at all, which is really... Really is Canacock super
0: health? Like it's like water. They don't have like soda and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. And so wow. and you know
1: how deep my no love for coffee, coffee. was. Yeah. It's de- yeah. yeah. So it was Seven down. years. Wow, girl. Yeah.
0: All right. Continue. Um, Carry us on.
1: Yes. Okay. So with, you know, kind of feeling like my time there was coming to a close. I'm originally from Jackson, Tennessee, which is about two hours from Nashville. At the time I was leaving Kennecuck, my brother was in Nashville. And Nashville was just really starting to kind of become this place where everyone was wanting to move and lots was happening there. And so a church there had actually reached out to me and had just said, Hey, we're hiring for this position, women's director for middle school. Are you interested? And I thought, well, this maybe where God's leading, Uh what's next? So I explored it and lo and behold, I got the job and made the move down to Nashville. So was there at Fellowship Bible Church, like I mentioned before, where Hannah's dad was one of the pastors and really settled into youth ministry there and was there for six years, women's director for middle school. Then I kind of switched to high school and really just, and still to this day, love teenagers, have such a heart for youth. And to be honest, miss working with them somewhat in my current role. But then kind of about three or four years into that, just started to feel like I was not... I, I was wanting to grow more professionally and was thinking, well, what would that look like? And started to explore uh, a master's in counseling. Counseling was something that I always really enjoyed doing in kind of a more of a pastoral role. So, you know, in working with youth and volunteers, you're always kind of in these one-on-one situations where people are often just telling you what's going on with them and you're offering prayer and support and encouragement. And so I really love that part of my job And so I thought, what if I explored this a bit more? So started to pray, started to ask people about it, kind of had a few meetings with different people who were doing that and kind of got the go-ahead from fellowship. They were like, go for this. Like This is a great kind of professional development opportunity. And so enrolled in graduate school doing counseling To be honest, not really sure how I was going to use it at the end. Like I had many Hmm. classmates that were like, I want to go into private practice right away. And I knew that ministry was still something I was feeling called towards and I enjoyed. So I was really kind of unsure as to what God would do and how he would use me, but kind of knew that just this was the next right at, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. So I started doing that, doing an internship at a wonderful place called Daystar in Nashville, but I still have so many friends there. It's a great place. But then, gosh, I'm trying to like exactly pinpoint when it happened. It was probably, I know it was a lot of factors. It was at that point, I was probably 34, 35, mm-hmm. not married. And that was something I always wanted in my life. Yet at the same time, God was not providing it. And so that was a really hard season for that in my life. So you became a fast, fast friend for me, Hannah. Um, And just one that I just still, obviously we're still such close friends, but one thing that I just valued so much about our friendship and about you as an individual was you just lived your life to the full. So traveling professionally, I just felt like there were so many different areas we connected on and that you challenged me in and you encouraged me in. And so it was such a sweet season to be single together in Nashville, Mm -hmm. and then um, enter the lovely dear Tyler Seymour, who swept you off your feet (laughs) and me a little bit. Let's be honest. Um, Yeah, he has a few sister wives. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I am happy to be on that list. Um, And so yeah, there was just a lot of a lot changing. You got married um, a, a couple of other dear friends around me in Nashville got married. And I was feeling this tension of I'm not I want to be, how do I get okay? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by okay is content with where I am right now. Mm Because this is the reality. This is what God's given me. Mm -hmm. And how do I get to a place where I'm content and okay with this? Mm -hmm. And so.
0: Content and okay specifically with singleness or just like the entire status of your life? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say my life in general. And one thing that I really only in the past year or two have become more aware of is this kind of concept of really owning my life or really Mm -hmm. having agency in my life. And so as I was telling my story earlier, you may remember like all of these opportunities to me kind of just fell into my lap. Like I was working at the summer camp and they Mm -hmm. offered me a job. And then this church in Nashville reached out to me and offered me this job and they were great opportunities. And I was, and still so grateful for them. But I think as I've reflected, even in the past year or two, over my decision to move to New York, this idea of agency keeps coming up. And I just realized that I had never really sat down as an adult and said, what do I want my life to look like? Mm. And for me at 33, 34, 35, I was really starting to grapple with this and part of that was I was being forced to ask that question because some things weren't happening as I thought they Mm -hmm. would or should happen.
0: Yeah. You probably Um, thought you would be married and have kids. Oh yeah. At that point in your life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And so there was a part of that that kind of forced me to think about that in a way that I may not have. And I'm so grateful for it. You know, I, I think that was what I was really grappling with and okay, I'm living in Nashville. I don't want to run away from my problems or I don't want yeah. to think that New York City is the solution or romanticize it or whatever. At the same time, I love an urban lifestyle. I studied abroad in college uh, in London and loved that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of living in a big city was something that was always appealing to me. I just, to be honest, never really sat down and thought about it in that way. And just think about what would it look like for me to pursue that again, as I was thinking about this conversation we were having, I recently was just kind of praying and I was thinking, you know, I am certain that my move to New York would have happened regardless of my relationship status. And and I don't mean definitely moving here, but seriously considering it and leaning into it and pressing into it and visiting and asking people to pray and asking people for wisdom, like that process. I still think would have happened regardless of my relationship status because like if you have me, been dating was, someone
0: cuz obviously if yes, you're married or, like it's a totally like they have to right. also want to move yes. to New York or like yeah. have a potential right. you know whatever yeah.
1: Yes because You know, again, as I've been reflecting about this, it really wasn't about New York, although I do think it's the greatest city in the world and I will uh, debate (laughs) that with anyone in the world, but it really was about me owning my life choices more, not, Mm -hmm. not simply kind of just falling into them. And Mm -hmm. I'd always kind of been a good kid, did the right thing and pretty just go with the flow type of person. But again, I hadn't really sat down and asked, what did I want my life to look like? Mm that I think I really started to do around that age. Um, okay. I love that
0: question. And I love, I think a lot of us probably need to stop and take inventory of our life, like mm-hmm. where we've been, what we've done and what we mm-hmm. truly want life to look like with, again, what you were saying, like within the realm of what we can control. Right. Cause there's a lot of things we can control. And honestly, I think we fixate and our thought life is consumed way more on the things that we can't control <laughs> mm-hmm. instead yeah. of yeah taking inventory. What do I want my life to look like? What can I actually mm-hmm. control? And then what are the steps I need to take to get there? But what about, was there a place where you, okay, answered that question and then also thought, okay, Lord, what do you want my life to look like? Like what did yeah. that, how did those exactly. two questions meet for you?
1: Yeah. Good question. And I think I want to be cautious in the way I talk about this. Cause I don't want it to sound like, yeah, do whatever you want to do and mm-hmm. like go and let, you know, cause that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Cause one other item of note I want to throw in here is I recognize that I was in a pretty privileged position at that point yeah. to really pick up my life and move. Right. I, it was just me financially. I had the means to make it happen. If I got to New York and it didn't work, I'd moved back. And and really, I was the only one that was kind of would have dealt with the consequences of that. So I I do recognize that I was in kind of a unique spot. But I think kind of wrestling with this, what do I want versus what does God want? And for me, they were really intertwined. And I don't want to say that there isn't something to be said about our flesh and our selfish desires, because that's certainly something to consider. But for me, I was being obedient to God, I was putting myself as we. Call it in the Presbyterian world, and the means of grace, right? So I was putting myself in positions over and over and over again where God could speak to me Mm -hmm. through his word, through prayer, through community, through people that were wiser and smarter than I was. Mm -hmm. So I was putting myself in these places of praying, of reading scripture, of being diligent, of taking this whole thing really slow. Mm -hmm. God, shut the door, shut the door. I don't have to go, You, you know, kind of just being very open handed about it. And I just kept getting not only from my prayer times with God, but from friends, from scripture, that I could be in God's will and and be in New York, just like I could be Mm -hmm. in God's will and be in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I think questions I would ask myself are, am am I being obedient to God? Am I listening? Am I praying? Am I putting myself in place of scripture and wise people? And then also from that place, then really began to explore who God made me to be and mm-hmm. my gifts and where that would lead me and so I think before we start asking the question of who am I and what's my story we have to know who God is and what his story is mm-hmm. right and then that grounds us and then from that place we can kind of begin to delve into you know your dad recently on uh, a couple weeks ago was talking about um self-awareness, right? So, but only from a kind of grounded perspective of who am I, who is God, what's happening in the redemptive timeline of yep. history, like what's happening right now, then am I only able to then kind of move forward with wisdom and purpose and groundedness in who am I and who God is?
0: Yep. Man, I went to a Nancy Guthrie biblical theology workshop a couple of weekends ago. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, I mean, none of it w- probably was like brand new information to me, but it was information I had forgotten. <laughs> you know how that yeah. is? Yeah. And I actually came home and I told Tyler, I feel like if my spiritual life, which this is probably going to over, well, it's going to way oversimplify it, but it's like, I feel like I have a, a panel of four light switches and I've had three light switches turned on this whole time and didn't realize that Mm -hmm. there was a fourth light switch. And I feel like that conference like illuminated things for me. Yeah. But going back to what you just said of like, you -hmm. know, we in our Western Christianity are so, so focused on who am I and what's my story and and how do I matter? And I mean, literally that's like what my first episode is about. I'm not saying that's wrong, but what that biblical theology workshop reminded me of is God has this Mm -hmm. one greater story of redemption Mm -hmm. and we know the whole story we know the entire story we know how it ends and but we're still in the middle of it and I think maybe Mm -hmm. it's my like non-denominational background I'm not I'm not honestly sure but I think often I Mm -hmm. think like the story's over like Christ Mm -hmm. came and he lived on this earth and he died and rose again and now he's seated at the right hand of the father and like the end. And it's like, no, 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 there's actually a lot more that's going to go down and recognizing where our place is in that storyline. And then coming to a place of, I do still matter. I I mean, there's so much scripture Mm -hmm. that tells us like, if he cares about the lilies of the field and dresses them in all their Mm -hmm. splendor, if he cares for the sparrow, he knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Like you matter. Mm -hmm. You have a unique thumbprint that no other person in the entire World has ever had before I mean he, he mm-hmm. you are uniquely created, he knows you, he loves you, he does want you to use your giftings and your talents and your experiences for his kingdom, but to come from that place first of who God is and who his story is
1: yeah
0: it it was a it was a kick in the butt for me, it was good, yeah, <laughs>
1: um. That reminds me, I just taught this class uh, on relationships at Redeemer, and there's this quote that we use often. It's by um, a guy named Paul Tripp, who's a really great Christian counselor, Um, and he talks about this concept of the already, but not yet, Mm. and when you're talking about that kind of biblical narrative of redemption, we are living in the already, but not yet, right? Christ has come but he has not fully come. And so there are glimpses of his goodness and his kindness and all of that that we experience here on this earth, but there's still this longing for more. There's still this longing for, it's not fully realized yet, right? And so one thing we say at our church often that I love is that God is in the process of making all things new. And so I, I love that we get those glimpses of that, but there still is this angst that we experience, whether that's brokenness in our relationship or loneliness or discontentment that we experience that, okay, it's happened, but it's not fully realized yet. Mm -hmm. That's
0: good. Okay. So going back to your story, you are discontent. You, something that we talk kind of a lot about in my church community is this idea of a holy discontent when God is stirring Mm -hmm. something in our souls and our minds but I think sometimes we also just as human beings get discontent because we're bored. Yep. <laughs> we're yep. not seeing what God has for us now. We're longing for something else that maybe he doesn't have for us. Yep. Help us and maybe even like sit in your counseling role for a second. Like how mm-hmm. how do I decipher if something is a holy discontent or boredom?
1: Good question. And I think I certainly don't have the answers. But I think, you know, back to that concept, I kind of just mentioned about the already, but not yet. So kind of realizing that, you know, the Christian life is full of suffering and we Mm. see that in the Bible. And so that is, that is a guarantee Mm. in our lives. And so, you know, Hannah, I'm thinking about when you and I taught the book of Ruth and there was this quote in a book that I was reading as we were preparing for Ruth. I just have this written down in my journal and it just says the lesson I learned over and over again is the road to God's fullness often looks and feels empty, but will we walk it anyway? Wow. And that is so true of the Christian life. And so please don't hear me say that when life feels empty, get up and move to New York, make some drastic <laughs> change in your life. That's not my story at all. That road looked and felt empty for a long time mm. before I made the move to New York. And that and that wasn't the answer, right? The move to New York wasn't the answer. But for me, having uh, exactly what you were saying, Hannah, about changing what I could change. And what I will say right now is accepting what we can't change. Yeah. That's a big part of counseling and therapy is acceptance. Yeah. And so that would be what I would say a first step in whatever that thing is in your life that you are unhappy about, frustrated about, feel like that God is not answering that question. Just because we accept something doesn't mean it's easy or even it doesn't mean that it would be what we would choose at this point, mm-hmm. but it does mean mm-hmm saying, this is what God has for me right now. And so actually accepting it, then we can be in a place to kind of live with that as opposed to um, pretending it's not there. Or I think one thing that concept for me in that season was accepting this because God is so abundantly good to me. He Mm -hmm. is giving me this thing. Mm -hmm. How do I reconcile that, right? I want so badly to be married with kids and God, that's a good thing. But yet you're telling me that this season of singleness is your best for me. Yeah. Okay. I need to spend some time figuring that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's on me mm-hmm. to wrestle through and find contentment in there. Cause it can be found in there, mm-hmm. but that's my task. And the longer I live, you know, I'm turning 40 next week. So I feel like I can say I'm almost the ripe old age of 40. Um, <laughs> and I think that is one of our big tasks. In life as a Christian, is to figure out how I can get content in whatever season it's in, whether it's singleness, whether it's marriage and longing for kids, okay. whether it's infertility, whether it's you're in a job you don't like, yep. you're living in a city you don't like, yep. you're frustrated with whatever. Yep. That is what God's called us to do because there is a deep, deep joy and contentment to be found in Him, but we have to do the work to get there. Yep. And I think acceptance is part of that.
0: Yeah. Man, that's so good. Okay, so you wrestle with this for like two years and you pray about it Mm -hmm. and you seek wise counsel and you, I mean, you have vetted the process. Mm Mm-hmm. And you finally make the decision. I I mean, I remember you sitting on my couch in my upstairs bonus room. We have been, (laughs) we were preparing for Ruth. I think it might've been Valentine's day. Was it? Yeah. Was Tyler, Tyler's like downstairs in the kitchen, making us like a gourmet Valentine's day meal.
1: Oh. And by us, I mean all three of us. (laughs) Yes. Which was one of my favorite stories ever of Hannah and Tyler is, um, I was feeling, I'm sure, sorry for myself and sad on Valentine's day and, (laughs) Hannah calls me out of the blue and she says, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? Tyler wants to make dinner for both of us. And I was like, what? And this was their first married Valentine's Day, folks. This was not like, you know, Valentine's Day number 87 for them. And not only did Tyler make dinner for me, but, and Hannah, but it was steak. He I will never forget he made these potatoes that he like cut in the shape of a rose. Yeah. It was just like, I felt so cherished and cared for and that is what god calls us to in relationships regardless of our marital status and that is one of the things that still makes me teary to this day about you guys i love you so much oh, man. okay
0: well we love um, you so much don't cry i can't <laughs> cry on podcasts too often um yeah you know I mean Tyler knew I loved Valentine's Day growing up and I never I did not ever have a boyfriend the first time I was with someone on a Valentine's Day was when I had a fiance and so but my mom had just instilled in me this like Valentine's Day was a family day for us and she would always make us a special dinner I mean it could have been breakfast for dinner you know it wasn't like they were like grilling filet mignons for us or anything but there was Mm a a present at our seat at the table. When we would arrive, there would be candles Mm -hmm. lit. It just was like, this is, you know, love of our family. And I'm sure my parents, they probably did something for Valentine's day on another day that week. I don't, I honestly don't remember because that's not as a child, you know, you're not really paying attention to like when your parents are by themselves. But, um, but I think it instilled, I'm starting in high school. Like I remember I would make cards and buy little trinkets and like give gifts to all of my single yeah. girlfriends. And then in college I would host dinners. And then after that I would either host dinners or plan to go out anyway. And so Tyler knew like mm-hmm. Valentine's day was such a, me just celebrating my the favorite women in my life. Oh, I should say favorite single. Cause I kind of felt like if you were in a relationship, yeah. you yeah. were fine. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what a sweet surprise, I guess, for um uh, us in our first year was. of marriage and him to look at me and be like, Do you wanna invite Ellen over? And like, Yes, yeah. I do you wanna invite Ellen over? Thank you. Um But oh, all man. of that to say, I remember yeah. we were upstairs and yeah. I, I just remember you all of a sudden looking at me and going, Hannah, I think I think I'm gonna do it. Like I I'm yeah. gonna move to New York.
1: Yeah. So, and I remember that exactly. I remember exactly where we were sitting, and that couch that you still have in your current living room was the couch we were on. And I still remember it. Yeah. It's crazy. And
0: I mean, obviously, you liked New York, you liked urban living, but, Mm -hmm. and so you were drawn to New York. But what was the why was it that decision that you made to change things up in your life?
1: Yeah. I think sometimes we talk a lot about the Enneagram, but I am a seven, (laughs) and so adventure is something that is a deep part of who I am and so I think there's a connection there Mm -hmm. that I really was up for an adventure unlike any other and this certainly has been I joke like I don't have a tattoo but if I were to get one I would get it tattooed on me like if you can make it here you can make it anywhere because that certainly feels so true of New York so I think it was the adventure it was I had never lived outside the Bible belt before. Mm -hmm. And so for me, being the only Christian at a party or in our group of friends, all of that felt very compelling to me and felt a draw there. And to be honest, that has been, and is one of my favorite things about living in New York is developing deep, deep friendships with people who are not believers. Mm -hmm. Certainly we have deep friendships with friends that are, but just That has been such a a rich place to be in for me and my faith where I'm having to ask myself harder questions about my faith and my belief when I'm getting to a conversation with people about why we go to church on Sunday when we're out, you know, with friends on a Saturday night and we're leaving because we have to get up early and go to church. And they're kind of, you know, just genuine questions that I really have loved delving into. And it's been such a growth of my own faith being here too.
0: Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to talk about high school graduation gifts. Tis the season when students are graduating high school and headed off to college, and I have the perfect gift for you to give a college-bound girl. It's my book, *The College Girl's Survival Guide*, which I wrote from my ten plus years of working on college campuses and mentoring college students. It's biblically based, but a super practical approach on how to handle the ups and downs of college life, covering the top fifty-two biggest concerns of college women today, things ranging from roommate conflicts to dating relationships, how to stand firm in your faith to finding career direction. You can buy it from me at hannahseymour.com, and I will personalize it by writing a note to your college bound girl and sign it for free. If you just use the code, no matter what, all one word at hannahseymour.com, but get it now because I have a limited amount of copies. Again, that's code no matter what at hannahseymour.com. I know you well enough to know that you did not move to New York and think, and now she lived happily ever after, like everything's yep. going to be better the day I arrive. But but I do think a lot of us have that expectation, whether it's Absolutely. a move or marriage or a child mm-hmm. or it's whatever that thing we're like really longing for. We think that that's going to complete us or that's going yep. to be the game changer and suddenly life is going to be rainbows and puppies and butterflies and we're going to be so happy. But again, I know that, that you had realistic expectations, but I still want to hear you talk about what that transition was like, because a move, while it sounds like an adventure, a move to a big old city is hard.
1: Right, right. And that was one thing that I really tried to be diligent about is not have this grass is greener mentality. Hannah and I have a really dear friend that was living in New York who had moved from Nashville, um, our friend Lana. And so the year before I moved, I think I came up three or four times visited her, stayed with her, um, and really tried to get a sense as much as I could for the challenge of living in New York. And that's challenge physically, that's challenge financially, Mm -hmm. that's challenge spiritually. I Mm -hmm. mean, you name it. And New York is a hard place to be on many, many levels. And so I tried to just as much as I could have my eyes wide open to what it was going to be like here. So um, one thing that was really helpful is Hannah, and I also have a good friend, Sarah Smith, who was living in Nashville at the time that I was wanting to move, and she also was wanting to move to New York so we were able to kind of share a U-Haul together and process what it was like to leave Nashville and move to New York and share our first apartment together and that was a gift Mm. that I knew at the time but gosh it just has been invaluable and so she's still here and such a, a wonderful friend here to continue to process what it's like here but that first six months that I moved to New York I was prepared As much as I could be for it to be hard, but it was even more hard Um, financially, you know, even the small things like going to the grocery store. I remember one of the first times I did and I just kind of stocked up on stuff and I, you know, they bagged everything up and I paid and I got ready to leave. And I thought, oh, how am I going to get all this home? (laughs) You have to carry (laughs) carry it all. And if you can't carry it all, too bad, you know, and so things like laundry, figuring that out, you know, just so many things that, you know, I think it's easy to take for granted where you live other places. Everything is harder and more expensive here in Mm -hmm. New York. And so then moved here, was busily applying for jobs, but nothing was kind of coming of it. So I had many friends that were here that said part of the culture of New York is employers don't really take people seriously applying for jobs unless you actually live in New York you can imagine people kind of just on a whim want to apply for jobs in New York. So I had friends that said, get here and you can find a job pretty quickly. It may not be your ideal or dream job, but do that. And then you'll eventually find your way and kind of your career of choice. So that's what I did. So I moved and for a very humbling, probably four or five months was Temping. So yep. got on with board with a temp agency. So I would be answering phones here. I would be like one of my temping jobs was I was temping at a jeweler and they had me counting gemstones for yep. 12 hours a day. Yep. yep. So I did that, you know, and, and I, you're I, like, times, I
0: have two master's degrees yes. and over 15 yes. years of professional, if not like 20 years of professional yes. experience. And I'm counting gems.
1: Okay, exactly, exactly. And it was in those moments where I was so glad that I had done as much due diligence before I moved here as I could. And what I mean by that is praying, really considering it, kind of weighing all the options, making it a slow process, right? Where it was kind of over 2 years from when I first started thinking and praying about it till I actually did it. Where I had the expectation that not that I literally would be counting gemstones, (laughs) but that it was going to be hard. And that I knew deep down in my soul that this was what God had next for me. And again, I think I always in the back of my head knew if this doesn't work. I can move back. And at the end of the day, I won't count that as a failure because this is something I prayed about. And this was a part of me really, again, owning my own story and, mm. and taking control of the things I could take control of. Mm.
0: So then something kind of funny happens, right? Because you get yeah. a job <laughs> at this amazing church called yes. Redeemer, Presbyterian Redeemer. Church. Yes. And yes. then you get a call out of the blue. And we will yes. say very little about this because I'm sure you signed like a non-disclosure agreement. But yes. you get a call out of the blue to be a personal assistant to like a big, 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 big celebrity and so yes. you leave your safe, I this this yeah. feels right to me, church job, because again, it's, yeah. hey, seven, this is an adventure. Yeah. And maybe exactly. <laughs> this is, yeah. and this is going to be cool because the, the ministry opportunities, I mean, everything about yeah. it. Like, again, you sought wise counsel, you prayed about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes. everyone in your court's like, wow, this is God ordained. Yeah, And that exactly. personal assistant job fell apart how fast
1: oh my gosh in four weeks six weeks <laughs> it was I, I wish I could say more about it but let's just say at one point there were like things being thrown at me yep. and I just said you know what this was a great adventure as a seven but also I know <laughs> when to cut my losses and so Redeemer graciously took me back and uh, have been there ever since and just I've been so grateful for being at Redeemer for m- many, many reasons, but just I feel like my job has continued to evolve with me, where I've just continue to feel like I'm growing in it. And anyways, I just feel really—it's a really great place to be. So.
0: Going back a little bit to the celebrity position that we all thought was right, turned out oh so wrong. One of my favorite questions to ask is like, what did your conversations look like with God at that time? Like what was going on in your prayer life?
1: Yeah, I would say there was a lot of desperation, a lot of, yeah, a lot of questioning like, God, did I make the wrong decision? Did I Mm -hmm. hear you wrong? Was this not what you had for me? You know, should I have stayed in at the church? You know, all of that was kind of running through my head and just asking for direction. And to be honest, like a release from anxiety, because I was just so anxious in this role I was in. And then also just being reminded I had a friend just reminding me in that time that of the prodigal son mm. story and that God wants to meet us when we come to him. And yeah. not to say that I had.
0: Yeah, you, you weren't know, being a prodigal child.
1: I was not doing the prodigal child thing. But God runs to meet us when we come to him and that, you know, while he was still a long way off, the father ran to meet him. And that's Beautiful. what God was, how he was embracing me in that time, because it was easy to kind of, you know, I'm a recovering like shame-aholic. And so it's easy for me to kind of go like, oh, I kind of beat myself up over that. And to, you know, so to own what I need to own, but then also remember that, that God loves me more than I can ever ask or imagine. mm Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. So another fun, crazy part of this whole story, mm-hmm. again, I mm-hmm. remember we had that sweet Valentine's Day meal and you had told yeah. me, I mean, I knew you had been wrestling with this idea, but it was like, yeah. this is, no, I'm going to do this. And of course, yeah. I'm so excited for you and so grieving for myself, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want yeah. my best friend to move to yeah. New York City, like this is. Right. This is not what's best for me. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. And I, I say that jokingly, but want to make it clear. I always tell folks if this is God's best for you, it means it's God's best for everyone else, too. Like it's not mm-hmm. God's best for you and God's worst for everyone else. Yeah. It, life doesn't work like that. And I think too often we convince ourselves otherwise. But after you left, I told mm-hmm. Tyler we were processing it more. You'd probably, we'd probably mm-hmm. talked about it over dinner, I'm sure, with Tyler. But I looked at him and I said, she is going to find her husband there. I like, I guarantee this is what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. not that you didn't move to New York to find you a man. You Mm -hmm. certainly thought it's probably more plausible. There are a lot more men in New York City than there are probably less uh, men who proclaim Christ, probably a lot less. Um, But you're like, all right, I mean, maybe my chances are better here. Certainly mm-hmm. that was in the back of your mind. And then one day you meet this tall drink of water named Matt Boker.
1: Yeah, we did. And we met of all places at church. Yeah, you um, did. And, yeah. <laughs> because that's where and you meet husbands,
0: not at bars exactly and not on Tinder ladies.
1: Right. so I just am forever grateful and again um, I I had been in New York for about a year and a half and he was leading a small group at Redeemer and that was part of my role was at that time was overseeing some of the small groups and so we hit it off pretty quickly and started dating and then a year and a half later got engaged and then a little less than a year from that got married and He is such a wonderful man, and he's right over in the next room right now, uh, (laughs) working diligently. (laughs) (laughs) COVID-19. That's right. COVID-19. We're living the reality. Um, Yeah. Gosh, I just, he is God's greatest gift to me, and I am so grateful for him. At the same time, I'm so glad, Hannah, that you made that helpful distinction earlier that I did not move to New York to meet a man. Yeah. was certainly that a hope for me. Sure, of course. Yes but I think in the end, as I was even thinking about over the past few days, you know, God's greatest gift to me in all of this is that it sounds cliche, but I just got more of Jesus in this, Mm -hmm. right? I was drawn deeper in, in a way that I hadn't before. And Matt is certainly one of God's greatest gifts to me, but that wasn't the purpose in moving here. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to say that and i think hannah even as you and i were talking about the podcast and i said hannah i just don't want to end with and here's this great gift with a big fat bow on it that i got at the end of my story because i did x y and z because we we all know that's not how god works Um, at the end of the day he is such a generous god and so i'm so grateful for this gift of matt Who is by way of information seven years younger than me so we're you know just putting that out there don't be afraid to date younger and um but taller than me you know yep. so what's more important here age or height uh, I don't know I for sure and I feel
0: like that's yeah. a Christmas miracle in itself because I mean, yeah. how tall are you six flat are you like yeah. five eleven?
1: Yeah, five eleven and a half. 5'11 and a half, that's with, you know, no shoes on. I mean, the second you have
0: shoes on, even the flattest of flats, you're six feet tall. And so, I mean, tall women out there, you know, it's hard to find guys Mm -hmm. that are taller than you, especially if you want to wear heels. And I'll never forget the first time Tyler and I got to meet Matt. We flew up to New York and we're on the elevator and the elevator doors open to the floor (laughs) that your apartment was on. And... I think y'all were like, y'all were not like right at the elevators as they yeah. open, but pretty much we like t- three yeah. steps out and y'all are right there. And, and Tyler and I are not small people. Like, no. I'm five seven without shoes on. Tyler's probably five eleven without shoes on, and yeah. so you know. But we're like, we are in the land of the tall people. Like we just both <laughs> yeah. felt like dwarfs, like our necks like craning back to look at you both, which is so funny because I don't ever think of you being like my tall friend is so much tall. Like I don't. But it was yeah. the combo of the two of you? I mean, Matt is yeah, he's a tall man. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, he is. He is. Okay, <laughs> so looking over all of these, this whole story from. Mm -hmm. you know, day one of discontentment in Nashville to making the decision, the job upheaval to even just, you know, you dated before you met Matt Mm -hmm. and you did try all the apps and Mm -hmm. all the matchmaker things Mm -hmm. that they, I mean, you, you put yourself out there. You were doing the work through all those different parts. Where did you turn for comfort and encouragement?
1: One resource I do just want to highlight that I found profoundly helpful in my years of singleness and also now is a book called The Path of Loneliness by Elizabeth Elliott. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with her story, but she lost several husbands. Jim was the first who was killed as a missionary. She writes about this concept of loneliness and how, what if we started to see it as a gift? Mm. And she uses this kind of illustration of the hidden treasure in the field, the passage in Matthew, where everyone takes a look at this field and it's barren and everyone saw weeds and death, but someone buys it. And in fact, there is a treasure hidden in this field that will change your life forever. And that treasure is God himself. And Mm. so what if we see this idea of loneliness as a way of getting more of God, as a way of accessing more of him, He talks about that if we receive loneliness as a gift and accept it and then actually offer it back to him with thanksgiving, that there's holiness there and there's contentment there and there's deep joy to be found there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a place where I really pressed into the intimacy with God in that season. And, you know, I don't know if this is biblical, but I felt an extra special connection to Jesus when I was Mm -hmm. single. And I'm I'm pretty sure that's not Mm -hmm biblical, but Jesus was <laughs> single. And I just mm. think as a single person, I felt that I, You're like, I you've, been, you've yes.
0: actually walked this exact path. Yes.
1: And we, you know, in Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us. Yep. He knows all. Yep. And so I just found such comfort in that mm. and such solace in that. Mm. Um, and I think another thing that she talks about in the book that was helpful for me is we often over associate loneliness with singleness. And, and I don't want to say that singleness does not have kind of structures in your life that tend to lend itself to loneliness more than others. Mm. I do want to acknowledge that, but sure. if we look back in the garden, you know, sin destroyed our perfect harmony with God and with each other. And so all of a sudden this aloneness that we experience is not just an experience of solitude, but of one of deprivation after the fall, right? So our aloneness now has another dimension and that's a dimension of pain. And that all happens after the Uh fall, right? Adam is alone before and not lonely, but then after the fall, I just think for us to start thinking about our loneliness, Mm -hmm. like that's a conversation. I think we should be having more, not more, but just more often is loneliness is not just limited to our circumstances, but it's, it's experienced in any circumstance, certainly in singleness, but also in marriage and committed relationships and being a parent and dating and death of family members and emptiness and on and on and on. This concept of loneliness is present in every situation and circumstance in our life. So what if we started to see that it's actually a gift from God and an invitation to press into him in deeper and more intimate ways. Mm. But that's where I found a lot of help and solace in that season and would recommend. I mean, I think I've read the book like six times. Wow. I would really recommend wow. the the path of loneliness. i joke it's not one that you like want to be on the subway reading right because you know it's like the path of loneliness people are seeing you put a brown paperback
0: cover over it yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but such a priceless read in my opinion
0: well I am a big big fan of Elizabeth Elliot but I actually have never read that book so I'm gonna add it to my yeah. Amazon list and Good. I'm gonna do it going back to just that like special intimacy you felt with the Lord during that mm-hmm. time I I immediately go back my mentor who was on The podcast last week, she Mm -hmm. said to me so often during my single years, Mm -hmm. It's you and Jesus. This is your time. This is your season. You can grow spiritually at a rapid rate when it's just you and the Lord. And the day you add a husband, things change. And the day you add a child, things change even more. And Mm -hmm. I took her for her word. I believed her. Mm -hmm. And I tried to do that. But I remember thinking like I mean, really? That seems, that just seems weird to me. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. And I mean, sure enough, it wasn't as major of a shift for me in marriage, but better believe becoming a mom, Mm -hmm. major shift. And I mean, of course your sin nature and the things you need to work on are revealed in completely different ways in marriage or in parenting, but just the sweetness. Yeah. The sweetness that you have when it really is just you and the Lord and getting to mm-hmm. press in and hunker down. But, you know, yeah. it's easy when we're looking back and hindsight's twenty twenty 20. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's, yeah, and exactly. it's easier to glamorize, I think, past seasons yeah. or someone else's life that you don't have than it is to.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's just another important note to make is, gosh, when I speak about the richness and intimacy that I experienced then that was coupled with a lot uh, with frustration, with sadness, yeah. with, you know, with all of that. So it wasn't like just me like in a field walking with Jesus, feeling like all <laughs> happy and rosy. Right. Um, there was other stuff at play and frustration and, you know, the feeling of just like banging your head against the wall, yep. you continuing to pray for this thing and God's not answering the way I want him to. And, stripping those idols of control. And anyway, so it's, it's painful in there too. I just want to say that. Yeah.
0: And yet you lived your life. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that drew us together so close is like, yeah, we were both single, but we also were like laser focused in, I'm going to have a full life and I'm going to, I'm going to do it all. And I'm going to love it. Like, I'm not just going to sit at home and watch Netflix and be sad that I don't, Right. That I don't have a husband. And yeah. so you can hold sadness and disappointment and longing and loneliness in one hand and still experience joy and fun. And you know, I mean, I think that's a Christian life as holding see. both of those it, hands. That, and sometimes one hand is way fuller than the other.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely one thing we talk about often in like counseling is that we're holding hope and grief often, like at the Mm -hmm. same time, like that's it. That is just it. And regardless of if whatever the season, there's, uh, there's grief, but there's also hope because we're living in this already, but not yet again, Mm -hmm. going back to that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that one doesn't completely negate the other. There's a way to hold both Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Two more questions for you. One, yeah. was there a Bible verse or passage that you really clung to throughout this time?
1: Yep. Psalm 62 was one that I found particularly helpful. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will never be shaken. Mm-hmm. Skipping down a bit, find rest, O oh my soul. Sometimes I would insert, oh, Ellen, in God alone, my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depends on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, mm. O oh people. Pour your hearts out to him, for God is our refuge.
0: Mm. And how did that speak to you specifically during that season?
1: It was such a, again, kind of holding both of these, like, I love Mm -hmm. that it says, pour your heart out to him. God wants to know my sadness and my struggles, but at the same time, he is my rock and my refuge and I will not be shaken. Mm -hmm. So it was holding both of those, he wanted to hear my cries and my frustration and my loneliness. But at the same time, there was a, a surety in who he was and my foundation in who he was that he is my hope. And at that at different points it felt like he was kind of all I had. There was such a a rawness and then also such a certainty about mm. the song that I really, really appreciated and found helpful.
0: Mm. And then last question for folks that are listening that are going through something similar, what do you say to them?
1: So I think first is just are you being obedient to God right now, are you seeking him in prayer and scripture and with friends? Are you putting yourself, as I spoke earlier, in these places where God can speak to you, right? So you're Mm -hmm. stripping away everything that could get in the way of you hearing God. And so you're, you're doing all of those things. You're asking people to pray for you specifically, you know, you yourself are, are praying as well. And then I do think there's a, so once you, once you're doing those things, Then there is a freedom there to explore. I would say have fun, explore new things and and don't be afraid to to fail or to mess up. You know, maybe it's not moving to New York. Maybe it's taking a pottery class or maybe it's, but just start being creative and explore what, whatever that thing is for you. What can you change Mm. in your life and start just making small steps towards that. I would say counseling is another great recommendation that I found helpful in this place where I felt kind of stuck that is helpful and just processing different things and space where you can be honest and be guided a bit by someone that can help you kind of figure out what is the next step that would be helpful for you and again I spoke about this in my own story but especially if you're thinking about a really big change I would say go slow go slow you you know you can't go too slow I guess (laughs) yeah I mean I guess you can um, and then just my posture through the whole thing and my posture in this season right now that we're in is just open-handed and I just picture yeah. my hands open and like my fingers pressed as far back as they can, like not even trying to curl around what's in my palm, right? But just completely open and God have your way in me and have your way in this situation. And I, I'm i walking towards this. I'm listening. I'm putting myself in all the ways and places where I can hear from you. And I think this is what you're telling me to do but I'm, I'm open-handed with it um, mm-hmm. that that's your posture mm.
0: going back to that psalm psalm 62 most of the psalm is a prayer from the psalmist I will wait quietly let all the I am wait quietly before Lord my hope is in mm-hmm. him and it shifts in verse 8 and he's talking to essentially the people that would be this is a psalm for the choir director it's used in a congregation it says oh my people trust mm-hmm. in him at all times Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. And I mean, gosh, for those of you who are listening, I want you to know I pray with whoever is on this podcast every time before we start recording. And I pray all over this thing as I'm editing in it and I pray about it when it's released. And my greatest desire, hope, my greatest prayer is that God uses these conversations to encourage you, to motivate you, to challenge you to To take the inventory, like Ellen was just saying, take the inventory. Is this, is is what my life looks like, and within what I can control, is this really what God wants for me? And doing the work, like Ellen said, I mean, you've got to be Ellen. What was the thing that you said, the Presbyterian, like putting yourself in the way of grace? It was something different though.
1: Yeah, we we just call them the means of grace. So reading your Bible, Mm -hmm. prayer, all this, attending corporate worship, all of that is we, they're not the grace themselves. They are the means Mm -hmm. of grace. So they're the way that God gives his grace us so we're putting ourselves in places where God can speak loudly to us where we're in a posture where we can hear it
0: yeah putting yourself in the means of grace in that my dad says posture a lot like you yeah. know there's a posture that we can be in to receive blessing there's a posture that we can be in to receive you know God's direction in our life and that truly is my greatest prayer that God would use this podcast in some way to encourage you and challenge you truly sees who God has created you to be and what he wants you to live out and to do it intentionally and well. Y'all know this music is by my girl, Shaylee Simeon. Go check her out wherever you listen to music. And then a shout out to (laughs) her name on Apple Podcasts is Future Millionaire, parentheses, I'm sure. (laughs) She said, I love listening to Hannah's podcast. She has a way of interviewing someone where it feels as if we're all hanging out and having coffee together. Her podcast is very inspiring and I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you, future millionaire. I believe it for you too. You're amazing. Thank you to all who have rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. As you know, it just helps other people find the show and hopefully helps them to be who God created them to be no matter what.